Thanks for joining the Heights Church podcast today. We hope that you enjoy the message. If you're in the Sydney area, be sure to join us at the Heights Church at Golston Road, Hornsby Heights, Sydney, Australia. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, made to look like a mortal human being, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. For they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sex relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for the error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Uh, Let me just pray right now for you, but especially for me. Uh, Lord, uh, as we sung this morning, you do uh, love us uh, as you find us. And uh, this morning, uh, we consider what your word says uh, about the fact that in a lot of ways, you find us uh, as fallen creatures, as fallen people who prioritize the wrong things, who worship the wrong things, who glorify the wrong things. Uh, and this morning, God, we want to be challenged. Uh, but Lord, we know that uh, we're not just hearing about some of these realities uh, so that we can just feel terrible about ourselves, uh, but we do so because the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the righteousness that you revealed to us through him, is readily available to us even today, even in this moment right now. Uh, So be with us this morning, prepare our hearts, uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, there are many situations in our life that involve the double-edged sword uh, that carries both good news and bad news. You might get promoted at work, Uh, good news, okay, more money, better title, bad news, longer hours, more responsibilities. Um, you might uh, move house, okay, good news, uh, it's more comfortable, bad news, okay, it's a further commute. You might uh, have something good happen to you, okay, good news, okay, this great things happen, but also some bad news. And sometimes people have to prevent, uh, present 
this information to you. And you might have heard someone say, okay, do you want the good news or the bad news first? I actually really dislike when people start uh, conversations uh, like that. So, uh, but I do wonder this morning for yourself, what is your preference? Okay, if someone comes to you with that annoying question, okay, do you want the good news first or do you want the bad news first? I just want you to just chat to the person next to you very, very quickly. Ask them, what is the news they want first? Okay? You want the good news or you want the bad news first? So we can get a show of hands. Who wants, uh, who wants the good news first? Who wants the good news first? We've got a few people. Few. Who wants the bad news first? Who wants the bad news first? Well, uh, there was actually an uh, in-depth study conducted on this very idea in 2014. Um, and in this study, it was in the Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin, uh, a, a magazine I'm picking up regularly. Uh, in 2014, they did an in-depth study they filled out uh, a personality inventory. One group was told they are going to get feedback, some of which was good, some of which was bad, uh, and they were asked which, which news they wanted to hear first. And uh, vice versa, a second group was told they were going to give someone else feedback about their personal inventory, um, and which one did they want to deliver first. And they found uh, that those who were asked, hey, do you want to deliver the bad news first or the good news first, were about 50-50. However... Uh, those that were asked about what they wanted to hear first, 78% wanted to hear the bad news first. And I think we saw roughly around that same uh, this morning. Personally, if someone asked me, uh, do I want the good news or the bad news first, I just say, neither, don't tell me any of it, doesn't matter. Okay. This morning, uh, as we look at Romans, one of the things that Paul is doing here, uh, he, he's just presented, okay, this good news, the gospel, the power of God that he's unashamed about, that is powerful uh, beyond comprehension, it, it brings us salvation. Uh, but in order for the good news to have its impact, he's, he's going to say, okay, but here is the bad news. Uh, and as Mark said last week, the bad news for humanity uh, is that we are cooked. I wrote that down, and that's a good note. We are cooked. We have all sinned. We've broken that relationship with God and that we cannot be saved apart from the good work of God on our behalf. All of us here uh, are in some ways guilty. All of us here live in a world where we know that things aren't as they ought to be, that things don't always go well, and that's easy for us to acknowledge sometimes, easier perhaps for us to acknowledge than the part that we play and contribute to that and participate in that. But the truth is that we all do. I wonder this morning, uh, when was the last time that you went to the jewellery store? I went to the jeweller. Uh, anybody been in the last month to a jewellery store in the last year? Okay, or I, you might not know this about me and you might be surprised to hear. I don't often go to the jewellery uh, store. It's not, not somewhere that I frequent. 
Um, potentially, uh, the last time was uh, to find an engagement ring a couple of years ago. Not very often I'm in the jewellery store. But one of the things that I know that can happen or does happen, uh, if you want to look at a ring or some uh, whatever else, I don't know, uh, one of the things they'll do, if you want to look at that, they'll un- the first thing they might do is they'll unfurl uh, like a black velvet cloth and they'll place it on the bench in front of you. Okay, then they'll get the piece of jewellery and they'll place that on top of that black velvet cloth on the mat. And the idea is that that, that pitch dark black backdrop allows the customer to see the full magnificence of the stone, of, of the item. Uh, as the light refracts through it, nothing else is distracting away from it. And in one way, that's what Paul is doing in the opening chapters of Romans. In Romans 1, 2, and 3, Mark and I will go through for the next few weeks, he's unfurling the black cloth. Uh, He's unfurling this black velvet cloth and just laying it out uh, so that the readers might first understand uh, the dark backdrop to what he is going to present. And it all culminates in Romans chapter 3, 23, Uh, where it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what's really interesting is in Romans chapter 3, Paul starts to to turn it and says, okay, everybody is a part of this, including you. The text that we had this morning, uh, my favorite words in that Romans chapter 1 text, uh, you might have noticed, is that it starts by saying, uh, talking about humanity, uh, but he sa- it says, they, they did this, they did this, they knew God but didn't glorify him. Uh, they, uh, they participated in all these different sins. They were filled with every kind of wickedness. They, 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 they. And so the reader might think, and, and perhaps uh, the Jewish Romans uh, in, the, in the Jewish Roman church uh, particularly would have enjoyed the they because they would be pointing to the non-Jews, the Gentiles, going, yes, they do this, correct, they, they, they. But by the end, Paul is saying, no, not they, us, all of us. And he's not doing this uh, to manipulate, he's not doing this to trick, he's not doing it uh, so that we might buy a ring. He's laying all of this out as an accurate appraisal of the situation that we find ourselves in with God. He's laying it out to tell the hard, cold truth. My first car, I don't know what your first car was or if you've even had a first car, my first car uh, was a 1993 Ford Fairlane. And I saved up about $4,000 of my own money to buy this 1993 Ford Fairlane. It was owned by a a lovely uh, older uh, lady who hadn't driven it uh, very much, who had taken meticulously uh, good care of the vehicle and didn't need it anymore and so was selling it. And so I purchased it with my own money, about $4,000. And I can tell you for sure that the second owner of that vehicle did not take the same care as the first owner of that vehicle. I was about 18, I owned it for between 18 and 21, and I thrashed that thing into the ground. 
Uh, I, I drove it between Queensland and Sydney 40 plus times. Uh, I lived in the country, so I drove on a lot of dirt roads uh, faster than I should have. Uh, I, 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 I just thrashed that thing. I drove, uh, I drove it in a way that was not, would not be described as carefully taking care of your vehicle. Uh, in a few years, it hit a, uh, a tree, uh, a post box, it hit a kangaroo, uh, it had a, uh, a weird smell uh, that, that occurred when you drove too fast, which just didn't seem uh, right, uh, and by the very end, uh, it made uh, a clicking noise, a ticking noise, and occasionally a very off-putting crunching uh, noise, okay? On this vehicle's last trip to the mechanic, I remember... Very clearly, uh, I, w I was actually uh, in Manly, you know, you, you remember, I was in Manly and, and the mechanic uh, called me up about the car that i just dropped off and he said, look, here is the problem. I've got a list here of all the things that are wrong with this 1993 Ford Fairlane. And he said to me, he said, this is the longest list uh, that I have ever seen for a single vehicle. He said, I'm on the second page here. Often I don't get anywhere near to the bottom of the first page. This car has so many things wrong with it, uh, I don't know how you are still driving it. He said to me, honestly, it's not worth fixing any of these problems because uh, unless you do all of them, it's not going to be worth it. And if you do all of them, you're going to be paying an amount, you buy this car 10 times over. Okay, the car was in a bad way. He said, mate, your car is, perhaps he didn't use this word, but this morning, mate, your car is cooked. And the thing is, this was an honest appraisal. He wasn't telling me this to get something out of me. He was just telling me as it was this long list of issue after issue after issue. He was giving it to me straight. The car had a problem. Well, it had lots of problems, but it had a problem. Perhaps the driver was the problem. And so I went and picked it up, drove it out of there with that long list, and I just put that piece of paper in the glove box and pretend it didn't exist. And I drove that vehicle for another four to five months, and just as predicted, one day it stopped driving, and let me tell you, it never drove again. Just like my 1993 Ford Fairlane, we have a problem. We actually have a long list of problems, but we have a singular problem. We have rejected God. And the truth this morning is, is that if we deny that problem, we create a roadblock to receiving the solution. If the first thing we do is, as Paul explains in Romans 7, we deny the problem, we suppress the truth, if we continue to do that, will we create a roadblock to, creating the, to, to receiving the glorious solution of Jesus Christ on the cross? What's great, and I don't know if you noticed this, but as Mark finished last week in verse 17 about... You know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's this righteousness uh, that's, that is, is in faith, that's, that is presented to us. Uh, Paul outlines what he's going to be talking about, this gospel that is powerful beyond belief. And then in verse 18, it's like, okay, now I'm going to explain to you the gospel. And the transition, for me anyway, is really jarring because he starts, he's explaining like his outline, okay, this 
gospel, the good news, this, this amazing thing that God has done for us, this, this glorious, powerful thing that brings us salvation. Okay, let me start explaining it. Verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people. It's a, it's a jarring beginning to his big, long uh, explanation about the gospel. God's judgment and wrath. And he says that it comes against the godlessness, the wickedness of people. It comes against the unrighteousness of each of us. When we think about the wrath of God, we can think about lots of different things. Perhaps this morning it's so cold that you wouldn't mind some of that caricature idea of that, 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 that uh, God's fire and brimstone coming down upon us. But as we notice in this text, when it's talking about God's wrath, it's not talking about it in those sorts of ways. And it's not talking about it in the sense of something that is coming one day. No, it's saying it's already being revealed. It's already already actually here. Humanity has rejected its creator and God has already started to reveal his wrath. And it, Paul says that the main issue here, the main uh, point that humanity has against God, the main issue that God has against humanity is that God has made himself plain to humanity, that he has communicated who he is. He has revealed his existence. The unseen, he says, is evidenced by the seen. If you go uh, to an art gallery and see a display full of paintings, you would assume that the paint and the different things didn't randomly land in those different uh, pictures. You would assume that there is an artist. And perhaps you would start to even get a sense of who that artist is. Well, this is the argument that Paul is putting forward. Uh, some of you, I don't know if you know, but somewhere around there, uh, I, I have a desk. Uh, and, and some of you who have been in there might be thinking, there's a desk in there. Uh, because uh, all I see is a bunch of youth stuff chucked in there next to the printer. Yes, underneath all that stuff. It uh, hasn't been seen since 2020, but there is a desk in there, and above that desk, uh, I've actually got this painting here. It's my favourite painting in the whole world uh, by uh, Rembrandt. And this painting uh, is a painting of the return of the prodigal son. It is my favourite painting. Uh, for me, I just love the way... I won't go into it. I, lo I love what it says about God and God's love and you know the, man, the humble man on his knees and the father. Okay, If we were to go to a gallery and there's this painting and there's all of Rembrandt's other paintings, okay, as I'm saying, we might not just get a sense that there is an artist, but we would get a sense of something of the artist's personality. Why is he painting a picture of the story of the prodigal son? What does that tell us about him? How has he painted it? Okay, we begin to make deductions. We begin to make assumptions. We get a glimpse, not just of the art, but of the artist's creative personality. We see this in Psalm 19, where it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. 
They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. He's saying the heavens, the skies, the creation of the world, it speaks. It doesn't actually speak, but it declares, it screams up. The heavens declare the glory of God. And this idea in Scripture and theologians call this a general revelation or natural revelation. The revelation that God gives to everybody. The way that God reveals himself uh, to every single person. That is through things like uh, the stars and the galaxies. The universe, the parts of the universe that we can see with our naked eye. Uh, the beautiful uh, views of, of mountains and, 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 and you might see looking out to the horizon at the beach. And it can even be seen in things like on a micro level like DNA uh, and, and cells. And, and as you start to look at the, the complex ways that this world and this universe is, is made, uh, it might be seen even in things um, like understanding music and emotion and that sense of otherness. Paul is saying that every single human has, been, has a sense and has been given a sense that there is a creator or at the very least a sense of other, that every person is without excuse because every person has had that revealed to them. Now, if you're ever debating with an atheist, I would encourage you not to simply say, you know. Okay, he's not giving us a way of, uh, of apologetics here, but he's laying out an argument that is true in Scripture, that every person has had uh, an eternal sense revealed to them, that there is something else, that there is an other. And then he says, even though we know this, even though every person's received this, we don't then turn around as uh, humanity, as our first instinct, and give glory to the Creator. No, instead, we exchange the glory of the Creator and we give glory uh, to created things. And so Paul's audience here was the church in Rome. And it's a very specific idea in Roman culture in the first century uh, this idea of glory, this word glory, was something that was not um, seen as a, as a sin to give yourself glory. It was seen as sort of something to aspire to, to be somebody who has glory and gives themselves glory. Uh, there's a quote uh, about this word glory from the first century that it says that in the first century for Romans, uh, glory was a term to describe the aura that arise, arose from a person successfully exhibiting themselves to others, particularly in victorious political or military leadership. Such glory was viewed as an intrinsic part of the heroic person, raising that person above the level of others. In the first century Roman culture, it was something to aspire to, to be somebody who could give themselves glory. It was heroic. That's who you wanted to be. But Paul is saying, when we do that, when we give glory to created things, even ourselves, what we are doing is we are making a terrible exchange. We're making a bad swap. We're exchanging the glory of the eternal God for something that is ultimately terrible, uh, that is temporary or weak 
or nothing compared to the eternal God. I spoke a few weeks ago in the evening uh, about uh, an exchange that I made once with my next-door neighbour. Uh, I managed to convince him, uh, this, 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 this younger year three uh, friend of mine when I was in year six, to give me his very rare and valuable Pokemon card for a card that I had that was pretty much in every pack. I went to, I did every trick that I had in my book to convince him uh, that this would be a good exchange, okay? Please don't think less of me. I just really wanted that Pokemon card. And he made the swap. And for him, that was a terrible exchange. He swapped something of value that was rare uh, for something that was common, for something that didn't actually have much value. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago in the evening, it didn't end out well for me. The mums got involved. I had to make the switch back because he realised it was a terrible exchange. Paul is saying here, this is what we do over and over and over. We make a terrible exchange. We make a bad swap. We swap something of immense, uh, unbelievable value for something that is just common and temporary for something that doesn't even compare. We're swapping a billion dollars for a 10 cent coin. We're swapping value for, for something that is, that is limited in its value. And he says one of the things that, that humanity swaps is they swap the glory of the reality of God uh, in the history of humanity. You swap that for images and idols and different things that we worship instead. It would be like uh, instead of me uh, loving my wife Kate okay, and, and having her in my life, I would switch her out uh, just for a, a picture of her. And that would, be, that would be the exchange that I would make. And I was thinking about that idea and, and as a kid that grew up in the 90s, I thought, wait a second, Homer Simpson actually did this at some point. He, he swapped his wife uh, for, for, let's just have a look for what he swapped his wife for. your mother anymore. I've created a replacement that's superior to her in almost every way. Dad, that's just a plant. Lisa, you will respect your new mother. Now give her a kiss. Kiss her! <laughs> I had... That's a terrible exchange. You're swapping something of depth and value for something that's just an imitation. And a terrible imitation. And the thing is, is that in our lives, the they that Paul's talking about, this is what we do. When we sin, that's what we do. That is at the core of sin, is that we switch out something that is valuable. We switch out worshipping God. We switch out giving Him glory to instead give other things of less value, including ourselves, the glory that should only be reserved for the eternal God. And it tells us here in Romans 1 that when we do this, when we make this terrible exchange, and when we are determined and decided within us that this is the exchange that we want, that the eternal God who has revealed himself to us is not something we want to pursue, is not something we want to prioritise, is not someone that we want to worship. Instead, we want to go our own way. We want to make our own decisions. It says here in Romans chapter 1 that God allows us to do so. It says that he hands us over, and this is a part of his wrath being revealed. His wrath is revealed by handing us over to allow ourselves to make 
our own decisions. In this story of the prodigal son, it begins with the son coming to his father and saying, I want my inheritance so that I can go and spend it as I want to spend it. I want to go and make my own decisions now. And what does the father do? He hands it over to him. He, he gives him the ability, the license to go and make his own decisions. And actually, it's the biggest punishment that he could have given him because his own decisions would involve consequences, okay, that would be negative. We make that exchange and God, it says, reveals his wrath to humanity by saying, go for it. And I've got to be honest, this is something that spooks me, that scares me, that makes me nervous about my relationship with God, about the things in my life that perhaps once I felt convicted about, that now I think, oh, it's it's not as big of a deal as I thought. It scares me about the things that I used to prioritise in terms of my relationship with God that I don't so much anymore. And it scares me because I think, uh, is it because I'm more more wise and, you know, I'm starting to know things more, you know, things are greyer than I thought they used to be? But a part of me thinks, is it actually God handing me over and saying, okay, if you want to not, no longer prioritise these things, go for it. And I think that's something that should scare each and every one of us because each and every one of us has the inclination to say, I know better. I know better. And this idea, it's a callback, actually, especially to the book of Judges in the Old Testament, uh, where in the book of Judgment, there's this recurring line that happens over and over that, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's a recurring idea in the book of Judges that, the, that people would just do what was right in their own eyes, and this cycle would go on and on and on. They'd do what is right in their own eyes, That would result in negative consequences and then God would come in and rescue and save them and then we begin again. And I wonder this morning in your life, what are the things that you do that you do because they're right in your eyes? Because it feels right, because you know better, because uh, just as all the way back in the beginning of Genesis when Satan came to Adam and Eve and said, did God really say? What are the things in your life where you think, hmm, does God really mean that? Does God really want me to prioritize that? Does God really want that? Did he really say, as Proverbs chapter 14 says, there is a way that appears right to a person, but in the end it leads to death. We switch out the truth of God for created idols. We take created things And we treat them as the ultimate. We treat them as everything. And it leads us to a terrible pattern of self-destructive sin. And what's amazing is those patterns of self-destructive sin are unique to each of us. It's universal as a problem that everyone has, but it's unique to each of us, and the fact that it's unique to each of us really makes it even easier to say they, because we judge those that struggle with sin in different ways that we struggle with sin. But each of us in our core has a problem. 
If you think about the symptoms of uh, COVID-19, I remember when they first started to have the symptoms, I'm thinking they're just listing every symptom that anyone has ever had of being sick ever. Fever, coughing, sore throat, shortness of breath, runny nose, headache, fatigue, muscle joint pains, loss of appetite, uh, vomiting, ter temporary loss of smell, altered sense of taste, fatigue, extreme fatigue, shortness of breath, heart palpitations, chest pain, problems with memory and concentration, changes to the list goes on. And so by this point, many of us have probably had COVID at some point, and each of us might have had those symptoms experienced, and some of us might have had some different one. Our experience of the problem might be different. The symptoms might be different, but the core problem was the same. That we are all guilty, that we all in our own ways, even now, find opportunities to make a terrible exchange. We exchange the truth for a lie. We exchange the ways that God has given us to live for the ways that seem right in our eyes. And I want to encourage you this morning and challenge you this morning, as I have been challenged, that there are things that we need to do as we hear this text. One is to accept that there is a universal truth of humanity's fallenness. But I would encourage you this morning to approach that not just with a they attitude, but also this morning perhaps to acknowledge our unique way of participating in the problem, our unique way of contributing to the problem. I think this morning for some of us, God wants to call us back to again coming to God and saying, you know what, God, uh, Yes, there is a problem in the world that we live in, but God, I'm coming empty-handed because I, I also know that I am part of the problem. I think God is encouraging us again this morning to come to him, not with uh, a sense of we know better, but with a sense of God, I don't know what to do. As I call Mark on the phone and say, I don't know what to do, please help me. We need to come to God with that same attitude and say, I, I don't know. I don't have the right ways to live. I am choosing the wrong things sometimes. As Paul here in Romans unfurls that black mat, that can be tough to look into the darkness. But the truth is this morning when we accept that and we see that darkness, it's right in that moment when the glorious diamond that is Jesus Christ is placed upon there and we can see him for everything that he is for us that we might potentially live with an orientation away from glorifying the temporary and created things. And as we see Jesus all of a sudden again be renewed in our sense that that is the one that loves us as he finds us, that that is the one that was the eternal begotten son of God that was given for us, that a righteousness might be revealed in a different way that we might live again to bring glory to the Creator. To tie it in again to the story of this Rembrandt painting and the story that it represents, the prodigal son. As Jesus tells us, when the repentant son 
comes back towards home, the father doesn't stand there with arms crossed, waiting, okay, what's this? Here he comes, what's he going to say? No, at the first sight of his son returning home, he runs towards him and embraces him. He embraces the same son whom he once let go. God allows us to leave. God allows us to make our own decisions. And he hands us over, in one sense, to our own decisions. This morning, perhaps, when we accept the black velvet state of our existence, God places upon us, upon that, the righteousness of his son, Jesus. He places that ring on our finger. Even this morning, he again says, I love you. I know and I love you. And so this morning, the idea of saying, yes, okay, they have sinned. Yes, even I have sinned. Isn't about leaving here today, you know, just feeling worse about yourself than what you arrived but it's no, it's okay. It's accepting an aspect of the reality that we find ourselves in so that the solution would not be roadblocked. And I would encourage you this morning to see that, that the point of this is so that we might get rid of the roadblock to the solution, that we might get rid of the roadblocks to Jesus being revealed to us. God allows us to leave but he runs to us and embraces us when we come back. When we find ourselves in the mud, when we find ourselves dealing with the consequences, not just of a sinful world, but the consequences of our own sinful decisions, and we decide we're coming back, he runs to us, and even again this morning, he loves us and embraces us. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we do acknowledge to you that we have fallen short. We do acknowledge to you that we make a terrible exchange. And Lord, we also acknowledge that as we sin and as we make decisions that aren't glorifying to you, that sometimes you just let us go. I pray for every single person in this room, Lord, that you wouldn't let us go that we would be convicted and that we wouldn't simply uh, be handed over. Lord, help us instead again this morning to see your value, to value the creator over the created things, to value your truth over the lies that we make up. Lord, we want to again come back to you this morning. We come to you muddy, dirty, broken, empty-handed, saying, we don't know. And we just pray again, Lord, love us and find, take us as you find us. In Jesus' name, amen.